Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Fight Island 4, which is headlined by Holly Holm and Irene Aldana. This is a big fight in the Bantamweight division. It's either the coming out party for Irene Aldana or Holly Holm going out there and showing that she's still a top-level 135-er that can continue to hold these uh, up-and-coming women back and maybe eventually probably getting another shot at Amanda Nunes. I, you know, even if she gets the victory uh, this week, and I think she should go out there, at least I have one more fight, maybe fight the winner of uh, Juliana Pena against uh, Jermaine Aranami. That's almost like a little bit of a bantamweight tournament. And I know that Amanda Nunes wants to take a little bit of time off uh, to you know, just be a mom. They just got a baby, her and Nina Ansroff. Uh, so, you know, th- th- it's still going to be a little bit of time until we see Amanda Nunes back in there. So, you know, they should let this bantamweight tournament pretty much play itself out. Um, I will do a quick thoughts on the card before I get into my betting recap for last weekend. Uh, do, you know, a lot of people are saying this is a salty card. I kind of understand it. But again, when you look at every single fight and research every single fight, you want to see these two variables go out there and try to figure each other out and see what the result's going to be. So I'm intrigued by a ton of fights on this card. A lot of people have differing opinions. Uh, you know, the uh, a lot of people think that the Casey Kenny line is a little bit too wide. I'm not in that camp. Uh, the Jessen Ayari versus Luigi Vendramini fight. A lot of people have a strong read apparently on Vendramini. I don't understand it. Um, Charles Dredane as such a huge favorite. Kyler Phillips finally uh, getting back in the cage again. Uh, the return of the natural-born killer, Carlos Condit. Interested to see how he looks. Uh, the UFC debut of Dushko Todorovic. A lot of people are completely counting out Daquan Townsend. Uh, Juliana Pena against Jermaine Duranamy. That's a fight a lot of people have a lot of split opinions on, especially when you have such a, you know, a... Uh, a huge fight in terms of grappler versus striker. This is the epitome of that. You know, what I mean, you have somebody as comfortable as uh, Juliana Pena on the ground as Jermaine Durandamy is in the striking realm. So that should be interesting to see how that plays out. Carlos Fleet versus Jorgen Castro just seems like heavyweight fun. And then uh, Holly Holm versus Adenial Dana. You know. Is it a passing of the torch fight? Is it Irene Aldana's time? Is this the perfect time to fight her? And has Holly Holm uh, officially left the building, per se? Uh, Decent card overall. Again, I'm very intrigued to see how these variables work themselves out. Uh, so before we get into the breakdowns, let's go over my last event, which was UFC 253. Quick betting recap over there is a small losing, well, a little bit of a losing night, minus 365. I had a nice parlay that I put together at the end of the card that saved my night in terms of just being completely down. Thank God. Uh, so let's start off with the lock of the night play. It was the first first fight of the night, under two and a half on Hadis Ibrahima versus Danilo Marquez. And the fact that Danilo Marquez pulls out this fight just shows you how much of a shit show of a fight it was, and he even wins it via decision. You know, I mean, it, within that first minute, I kind of could tell that Ibrahimov was just off. Like, he was flat-footed. He was not throwing the bombs that I'm used to seeing him throw, especially early in a fight, especially against a guy who is, like, prime can candidate, um, you know, like, fits the mold of the guys that Ibrahimov was fighting before he came to the UFC. And, you know, a lot of people are high on Ibrahimov coming into the UFC because he was able to go out there and dispose of these guys so quickly. I was expecting Danilo Marquez to fit that mold 
perfectly. But for some fucking reason, it looked like Ibra Gimov did not want to fight at all. And I thought that the under two and a half was pertinent on the fact of him having a decent showing or at least being berserk enough where he could get the finish or he could overextend himself enough that Danilo Marquez would be able to pull up, uh, you know, get the choke or something like that. But either guy did not want to fight that night. Very, very unfortunate and boring, boring fights. Uh, you know, cut Ibra Gimov cut Marquez, you know what I mean? That guy had back position for so long and could not do anything with it. Very, very underwhelming performance for both guys and a very shitty result on RN2. So we lose uh, minus five units on that. Um, we had a dog of the night play that did miss. I had 0.5 units at plus 250 on Alex DeSova. And I think he surprised a lot of people in that first round. And then he just was not able to keep up that type of pace and keep up that effort in the second and third round. And Brad Riddell really started to pull away in those second two rounds. I'm not, uh, you know, the most regretful of this bet. Plus 250 is still a little wide, in my opinion. You know, if anything, that showed us that fight should have been a little bit closer lined. Uh, maybe not pick him or anything like that, but definitely closer than plus 250. So that's minus 0.5 units there. And then our hit of the night. One that I wish I went a little bit deeper on. You know, I was close to doing the 1.5 to 2 unit play on this. Uh, but I ended up just going with 1 unit at plus 185 on our boy Brandon Royval, a.k.a. Mini T Tony Ferguson, going up there and just absolutely molly-whopping Kaikar friends. Yeah, he got rocked and wobbled a couple times, but he's able to come back right away. Um, and that's why I like to call him Tony Ferguson. Even when Ferguson gets rocked, he tries to go out there and throw some weird shit. And from Brandon Royval, we saw a beautiful spinning back elbow that landed perfectly on Kaikar France's chin, wobbled him, and then he was able to take advantage of that and really put it on Kaikar France afterwards. Beautiful, 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 beautiful performance by Royval there. Uh, again, mystified at the love that was coming in on Kai Car friends. So even though we ended up down on the night, I'm very happy that I was able to spot the beautiful underdog play of Brandon Royval, especially at plus 185. I wish I got him at plus 200. I'm not going to, you know, complain too much as we still ended up catching that bet. So all in all, minus 3.65 units on UFC 253. But that brings us right into it. UFC Final and 4, which I believe uh, will have a solid showing at because there's a lot of solid spots here. Um, I've already played the lock of the night play, which you guys will see uh, as soon as we get into these breakdowns. Uh, and lastly, before I get into the breakdowns, if you haven't already... Make sure you guys sign up to the Patreon. I have the link in the description below. You guys get wonderful perks like early access to the breakdown. So you guys don't have to wait for this full podcast episode to come out. You guys, you know, as soon as I finish recording my breakdowns, I hit stop. I plug it into my laptop and upload it right to YouTube and then eventually to Patreon strictly for those Patreon members so you guys are able to see my views uh, earlier than most people are and maybe take advantage of any, uh, you know, late or early uh, line movement, even before people hop on the lines and see uh, what value lays on some of these fighters. A lot of my uh, early access guys are, are all over that. They love they love the fact that they get the 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 breakdowns earlier than the the public and then lastly they also get a best bets and props article that has been killing shit as well too um you know a lot of good props i'm spotting in each fight uh and a lot of people are taking advantage of them a lot of these round three props that i'm hitting as well too a lot of people are liking that um but yeah people find a ton of value for five bucks a month y'all are getting a ton of value and uh, you know People are saying you're undervaluing yourself, you know, doing it at five bucks a month. I don't really give a shit. You know what I mean, I think it's more of like a betting companion. You know what I mean? If you go out there and lose just based on my advice, it's five bucks a month that you paid me for it. You know what I mean? But if you go out there and win it, 
it's just five bucks. You paid me for it. You know what I mean, a month too. You're getting four events a month now. So for five bucks a month, it's it's not. I, I think it's more than enough value. It's a betting buddy, betting companion, like I uh, like to call it, giving you guys the best advice I can possibly give you. And for me, it's more so of building a solid foundation rather than just having you know a couple people paying fucking hundred bucks a month or some shit. I'd rather you know amass a following of 200, 300, 400 people if possible that are willing to listen to your boy and trust your boy with my reads and my opinions rather than you know a couple people. So we're I don't know, over 100 people now so i'm very very thankful for that if you haven't done so already uh that's the best way you, you can support your boy five bucks a month patreon again it's in the link below um yeah that, that's really all i want to plug uh and the tape index obviously if you don't use the tape index already make sure you guys do that it's great for saving you time especially if you do your own research on all of these fights yourself uh we have everything that you need on one page so you don't have to be scouring the web to look up on information or fight footage or anything for any of these upcoming fights and then we're obviously ahead of schedule as well too so even if you're caught up on this coming event we got the next event and the next event and the next event we're pretty much caught up all the way up to ufc 254 so if you want to you know get a head start but even before odds come in on stuff we have everything on the tape at next for you guys to complete your research and make an educated uh prediction on uh, what you think the outcome of the fight will be all right i'll shut up once again patreon in the description below whether you're watching on youtube or listening on spotify stitcher itunes whatever the fuck it is it's in the description below support your boy let's make this shit a full-time thing i'm halfway there i'm halfway there almost fucking there and i can do this full-time and start getting these breakdowns out even earlier and then start to provide you guys with even more betting and gambling content for mma so uh yeah appreciate this part as always hit subscribe as well if you haven't because that's another thing all right let's get into the breakdowns and i hope you guys enjoy them Jessen Ayari versus Luigi Vendramini. We got minus 115 for Ayari and minus 105 for Vendramini. Pretty much a pick em. Uh The over-under, 2.5, over 2.5 at minus 150. Um, and yeah, th- this fight's a little bit tougher to break down. You know, there's there's not a lot of tape available on Luigi, uh, which makes it a little bit more difficult to figure out how... Um, successful he is in getting his opponents down you know I mean I feel like with him being mainly a a grappler or seemingly mainly a grappler uh, you know he's got to figure out a way to get Jessen down and that's where he would be able to implement the best game and best advantage uh, that he has in his back pocket but you know going through the tape of Jessen Ayari we have the Darren Till fight where you know, Till got him down twice in that first round. Didn't really attempt any more takedowns for the rest of the fight. But that was, you know, it, that's fucking 170 Darren Till. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't even be surprised if Darren Till missed weight for that fight. Let me confirm that. Uh, but yeah, we all know why Darren Till's at middleweight now. The guy is just too fucking big to be at, um, yeah, he weighed in at 176. So he missed weight by six pounds. Uh, so he pretty much like powered his double legs to get Justin Ayari down. And even when he got Ayari down, he was not able. He was not successful in keeping him down for a prolonged period of time to be able to do enough damage with that top control. Um, you know, I like what I see from Justin. You know, what I mean, he moves pretty well. His kicks are good. His range fighting is well, uh, pretty good. His point fighting is good too. Um, obviously, the judges in Halifax, I believe it was, where he fought um, Stevie Ray. They didn't like it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the MMA decisions page, pretty much everybody had that fight for Jess and Ayari. Yet we had, uh, I think it was one judge had all three rounds for Stevie Ray and two judges had uh, two rounds for Stevie Ray. 
I, I could see a little bit of, like you're talking about forward movement with, uh, you know, methodical picking apart uh, compared to just, you know, backing up, backing up, landing a couple good shots and then getting back out. You know what I mean? I, I, I favor the Ayari side there. So I did score that fight for him. But uh, yeah, he, he showed he showed some solid skills in that fight. Um, with again with Luigi, there's just not enough out there. I'm not sure how you can possibly make an educated guess and go out there and bet this fight. You know what I mean? Like, if anything, you you'd bet the IRE side, especially with the line being as close as it is. Um, but even that, like, we, we don't know how relentless Luigi is going to be with the takedowns. Like, what we've seen from him, mainly that Zaleski fight, is yeah, he got Zaleski's back after uh, you know, um, Zaleski whiffed on that Peruvian necktie attempt. Uh, and then Vendramini gets his back, doesn't complete the rear naked choke, but gets damn near close to it, even fucking trying to poke out or gouge out Zaleski's eyes in the in the process. But, uh, you know, he was unsuccessful there, and then in the second round we saw him, or even like after that rear naked choke attempt, we just saw him on the outside. I don't know if, he was cu- if it was because he was gassed and really pumping those arms, but he was just sticking on the outside, uh, not really doing too much in terms of trying to you know, put his hands together or his kicks together or anything like that. He just seemed a little bit uncomfortable on the feet. It seems like he really wants to get fights to the ground. Um, and then the other two fights that we even have on the tape index, one of them is his 10-second knockout over a guy that's 0-1. And then his other fight is an 0-2 guy where he literally rear naked chokes him without any hooks in. You know what I mean? That's sketchy. So there's just not enough... Uh, concrete and hard enough evidence for you to be like, all right, Luigi is a solid play for this fight because we know that for sure he can get the fight to the ground and for sure he's going to pull off the submission. I don't see it. I feel like we're going to see Justin Ayari go out there and just pick Luigi Vendramini apart from the outside. But even that, like I'm not even that confident in it either because I got I need more data on Luigi to be uh, confident in that play. So this fight is a complete pass for me just due to lack of evidence and lack of data on Luigi's side. But hopefully we get to see a full five rounds here, or sorry, full three rounds here from Luigi. So we can start to, you know, pile up a little bit, a little bit more information on this guy. See what his takedown attempts are like. See what his takedown, you know, completion is like. Um, how good he is with the jiu-jitsu. Uh, and if he can even hang, on, uh, you know, if this fight mainly stays on the feet. You know, I mean, if he, what if he's not successful with getting the takedowns? Can he at least, you know, stay competitive on the feet? Personally, I don't think he can. I feel like Justin is just way more comfortable on the feet. Does a really good job of keeping his range, using his kicks. So, uh, yeah, I like Justin Ayari here to win by decision. Uh, but this fight is, uh, I think it's a landmine on either side. So be cautious if you bet it. But personally, I'm going to be going with Ayari to win this fight via decision. Casey Kenny versus Haile Alatang. We got minus 290 on Casey Kenny and plus 245 on uh, Alatang. And I've already pulled the trigger on Casey Kenny here. I knew as soon as this matchup was announced, as long as he's better than like minus 350, I'm going to pull the trigger here. Um, you know, I missed my shot last time around when Casey Kenny went out there and fought Luis Smolka. Uh, I just want to confirm the number he was at, but he was at like minus 280. Uh, minus 275 and I'm legit kicking myself and still really pissed off at myself for missing that spot because I truly thought that was a really good spot for him to to go out there and get the victory and that's exactly what he did Um, I'm trying to remember what I actually made my lock and then I play for that card Um, just taking a quick glance over it right now Oh yeah, the Quarantillo and Spike Carlisle under 
man, that fight had so many opportunities to finish too. So I'm very bummed that I missed out on that one. But here, I'm not, I'm not fucking around. You know, I mean, minus two eighty one is what I eventually ended up pulling the trigger at on um, on Casey Kenny at five units. Um, yeah, the the guy's a shoe in to win here. So let's try to break down a little bit as to why I believe that. So let's start off with Casey Kenny himself, uh, 14-2-1, coming off a victory over Louis Smoka, but before that lost to Marab Devalishvili. But coming into the UFC, he was riding a 1-2-3-4-5-6 fight winning streak. Before that, he did lose a uh, split decision to Adam Antolin on the contender series. But, uh, you know, since that fight, he's managed to get a five-round victory over Brandon Roy Val, who we just saw this past week and had a spectacular victory over Kai Car France. He beat Ray Borg. He beat Manny Bermudez, who's a wizard when it comes to the jiu-jitsu room and not to mention just a wizard. The guy looked like he was two weight classes above him and he even missed weight pretty bad that fight too. But Casey Kenny still went out there and did the fucking thing. Murad Devalishvili, we know he's an outlier when it comes to these situations. You know, solid wrestling mixed with solid uh, jiu-jitsu um, and unhuman-like cardio it's going to be tough for anybody to beat Marab Develishvili. So, um, you know, not too mad at that loss there uh, for Casey Kenny. And then obviously he comes back and beats Louis Smoko with a one-arm guillotine three minutes into that first round. Um, we know what the kid's all about. Like, we saw it in the Ray Borg fight, and we see it even more in that Brandon Roy Val fight. The kid is a great grappler. He's a great wrestler who had a, you know, he had a bunch of state championships uh, in high school. He went to college but dropped out in his sophomore year to pursue pro MMA for you know, professionally, I should say, as redundant as that sounds. But um, the kid has a ton of talent. He realized it at an early age, and he moved over down to the MMA lab in Phoenix and was able to, I believe it was Phoenix or Tucson. I might be getting my season mixed up. Regardless, somewhere in Arizona. Um, he moved down there and started getting the work in and started getting the work in with these professional MMA fighters. John Crouch is a big, uh, you know, um, believer in him as well, too. Um, the kid is good, man. The, the, the kid, he scrambled very well too and I believe that's going to be the deciding factor here in this fight against Haile Alatang um, you know Casey Kenny I got to put him up there with Ray Borg just as we saw how competitive he was Brandon Royval who's a great scrambler himself too but you throw Casey Kenny in there with another primary grappler or even somebody with decent striking but not that good grappling I'm taking Casey Kenny all the fucking way even in the Louis Smoka fight we know Smoka's um uh, his his advantage or his strength is the grappling and submission game, but he got absolutely handled by Casey Kenny in that fight. Uh, so Haile Alatang, on the other hand, uh, Chinese wrestling team, I think freestyle wrestling or something like that, he was second in the nation, uh, you know, um, he has high credentials when it comes to wrestling, but having high credentials when it comes to wrestling mixed in with actual MMA wrestling and MMA grappling and mixed in the jiu-jitsu, it's a totally different realm. And we see that in a couple of his early fights, even before the UFC work, he does have trouble with, inter you know, keeping top position when he does get guys down. Um, you know, uh, he has gotten taken down himself too. That's something that people need to realize. Um, he has managed to do a solid amount of work with the striking in his UFC run, uh, you know, to to go out there and kind of outstrike. Dana Batgarel was a, a very 
positive note for him. Uh, the Ryan Benoit fight, he was kind of lighting him up there too. But he, this is the first time he's fighting somebody with the grappling acumen and the, this experience and everything that Casey Kenny brings to the cage. This is the first time that Haile is going to be fighting somebody like him. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a rude awakening for him. I think he's going to you know, struggle with the scrambles. He's going to struggle when the fight really gets tough in those grappling exchanges. And I think that's where Casey Kenny will really come out on top. Um, Kenny's striking is not that bad either. You know, I, I, I'd i say it's kind of even. Haile Ali Tang has some power behind his shots too. Uh, but I think it's truly going to come down to the grappling game, which is where I truly believe that this fight will be contested for the most part. Um <clears throat> Kenny does a great job in terms of initiating the grappling and doing a good job of like, you know, kind of staying one step ahead of his opponents. And when you see him go up there against, um, sorry, when you see him go out there and fight higher level jujitsu players like uh, Manny Bermudez and kind of like a Ray Borg, I'd say, you know, Borg, not as credentialed in the jujitsu as Manny Bermudez, but even uh, Brandon Roy Valley, a kid that's very crafty with his jujitsu and always being one step ahead of them. That just gives me so much hope and so much promise for this kid in Casey Kenny. And, you know, it kind of reflects in the betting line. Some people may say it's a little bit too juice given Hali Alatang's credentials. I'm not, I'm not, you guys are just looking too far into it. Don't look that, that far into it. It's not, this fight is not that difficult of a decision to make. And to be honest, I truly expected we're going to get like minus 400 on Casey Kenny here. So when I saw that this uh, fight was in the minus 260, minus 280 range, you know, it it was a no brainer for me. I I had to take the shot. Um, and, and I did. So he is my lock of the night play. There's no doubt about it. I love this kid in this spot. And uh, again, a little bit juiced odds. But to me, anything better than minus 350 at, at straight odds, especially if I'm this confident in them, it's worth it. So I'm taking the minus 281 shot on Casey getting here at five units. Uh, I'd bet him all the way up to minus 350, to be honest. If you guys want to go out there and parlay him, I'd say Jordan is a spot to, to parlay him with, or even Dusko Todorovic. <clears throat> That's the fight that I'm still, uh, the Dusko fight is one that I still got to look into, but we all know how garbage Daquan Townsend and is uh you know and surprised that he's still in the UFC but I still gotta I gotta dust up on Dusko still I can't just blindly fade Daquan there uh but I think that uh Jordan is a solid spot if you want to parlay Casey Kenny with anybody but me I'm being super super safe here I'm gonna par- uh, just play Casey Kenny straight minus 281 five units Loma Luke Boonmi versus Jin Yu Fry. We got minus 140 on Loma and plus 120 on uh, Jin Yu Fry. Uh, the line did open up pretty much out of Pickham, and we did see or have seen a little bit of love coming in on Loma. Uh, a slight buyback on Jin Yu Fry coming in, but I feel like we're going to see this roughly minus 130 to minus 140 line continue throughout the week for Loma. And uh, rightfully so. You know, this was a fight where I was going into it thinking, all right, you know, I think Jin Yu Fry, you know, her experience and her, um, you know, championship reign uh, and all of that is going to pay dividends for her uh, coming in, you know, against a foreign two Loma Lukbunmi. But the further you look into it, you know, it, it seems like she's on a bit of a decline. And this fight is a little bit like a... I don't want to say a passing of the torch, but kind of like, a, you know, we got one fighter on the way up and one fighter on the way down. And unfortunately for Jin Yu Fry, I feel like she's the one on the way down. And Loma just continues to look better on a fight to fight basis. You know, th- this is a good fight for both women because it's the first time in the UFC. You know, this is the uh, it's the second fight for Jin in the UFC, and I believe it's the third yeah, it's the third for uh, Loma. But this is the first time that they're actually fighting other atom weights. You know what I mean? When when Loma Lukbumi was over in, um, in Invicta, she was fighting at atom weight. 
Junior Fry was the atomweight champion. Um, and, you know, when they got put into the UFC, they they got put up against, you know, Loma got put up against Alexandra Albu, who's a very strong uh, strawweight. And then we got Angela Hill, who's like a taller strawweight, um, you know, a little bit strong too. Uh, and then with Junior Fry, she gets put in there with Kay Hansen, who's mainly a grappler, uh, obviously a 125er as well too. So that, um, you know, that, that was a little bit unfortunate for her. Or sorry, not a one twenty five or a one fifteen er, um, and now they're both fighting. You know, pretty they're fighting each other a weight class above what they should be fighting each other at, considering they're both one one o five ers. And I'm I've been banging the drum for a while now. You know, I mean, we have a lot of talent at one fifteen in the in the UFC strawweight division that we can, you know, they can go down to one o five. Or there's a lot of women at Invicta as well that are at that one o five pound division. That can come over to the UFC and provide way more exciting fights than you know the the wasteland that is the 145 division in the UFC. So, again, I always seem to bring this up whenever I'm talking about Loma because uh, I feel like she would benefit largely from a 105 pound division. I think she should uh, you know she would be able to make a lot of noise there. Uh, but here we are, you know. Again, thankfully both women are fighting each other. Um, should roughly be the same size. Um, I feel like. The slight strength advantage is going to go towards Jin Yu Fry. Uh, but with that said, uh, you know, going into the researching this fight, I felt, I don't know why, but I felt like Fry had a different type of game plan, uh, you know, in most of her fights. But when I did, you know, run back and, and do the tape, it just reminded me that she's more of a, uh, you know, she she's a solid striker, um, you know, decent clinch, decent groundwork, but nothing that really blows you out of the water. You know, it doesn't blow you out of the water like Loma striking. You know what I mean? Her Muay Thai is legit. And, you know, she, she has a lot of beautiful knees from the clinch position. Her leg kicks are beautiful. We saw the damage she was able to do on uh, Alexandra Albu's uh, front leg. Um, you know, I feel like she, she got into some sticky situations against Angela Hill because, you know, Hill, a uh, very mobile striker, moves in and out very well. Not really a style that Loma is used to seeing. Um, and that's not really what Jin Yu Fry brings to the table either. You know, she's a low output fighter, uh, you know, pretty precise with her striking, um, has decent power, but nothing that blows her hair back or anything like that. Um, but with Loma, I feel like she'll have almost a field day with Jin Yu Fry on the feet. You know, I feel like um, Loma d- does a solid job in terms of, you know, using her teeps, using her front kicks, uh, just using her kicks in general. Um, her hands are coming together very well. And one thing I really like that she does from the Muay Thai clinch position is she dumps her opponent. And even though she doesn't really follow up and try to, like, you know, go for a submission or try to pass the full guard or anything like that, she does a good job in terms of making them work. Um, that sounds really dumb, you know what I mean, in terms of, like, okay, you're just going to dump your opponent and let them keep getting back up. Yeah, you know, it takes a little bit of energy to get back to your feet, especially when you just got dumped on your face. You know, I mean, it's it's something small. Like, it's kind of like the Cain Velasquez thing from back in the day where, like, he would just continuously take guys down. And, yeah, they would get pretty much right back up, but they're exerting energy to get right back up. So I feel like if she's, uh, you know, the more she does that to fighters, the more it kind of, like, wears them out. Uh, I'm not saying it's, like, a be-all, end-all to, like, you know, the, the main strategy, strategy that you need to win a fight, but it's very effective. Um Going, again, going into taping this fight, I thought, okay, Jin Yu Fry, 
she could take the Angela Hill approach in terms of just pushing Loma up against the cage and kind of just, you know, bodying her there and just keeping her there and chipping her away. But the more I looked into it, Fry doesn't really do that, and nor does she do it that effectively. You know, if anything, she's gotten it done to her, uh, mainly by Mina Grusender in a fight that, you know, a lot of people saw the other way. Um, again, it feels like a... It feels like two fighters on a different trajectory, and I feel like Loma's on her way up. Um, as long as she can stay out of those like grinding situations, or even if she is in those clinch situations, I f- again I feel like she'll do a decent job of like sneaking knees in there and having beautiful elbows sneak in there too. She had some beautiful uh, elbow work and Muay Thai work against Alexandra Albu, um, who herself is quite strong, um, has a similar frame to Jin Fry. Um, yeah, that, I find it hard to see a, a region in where Jin Fry actually wins this fight. Uh, again, even if she gets this fight to the ground, she doesn't really have the best top pressure. And Loma does a good job in terms of like we've seen in her fights under Invicta where she's able to, uh, you know, time takedowns well and mix up the game. And a lot of people think she's, she's just mainly a Muay Thai striker, but like she goes in there and she mixes up the game pretty well. And I feel like this is a good fight for her to really come out and show that she has a lot more in her tool shed. Um, I feel like it'll mainly be on the feet. I feel like a potential knockout is available for Loman uh, Lukbunmi as well. You know, she's only gotten a one KO finish on her MMA record. Uh, she's lost via armbar in the past as well too. But, uh, you know, Fry's durability is starting to wane. And, uh, you know, we saw C.O. Heeham put her out in uh, Road FC. It's been a little while since then, too. But this is, uh, like, a legit striker that she's fighting at this point in time. And I feel like Loma's going to be able to find that chin. Uh, she'll open her up with a couple of kicks. Uh, but I feel like eventually she could find the chin. So, um, uh, you know, I think after a solid, like, 10 minutes of work, a solid two rounds of work, we could see Loma really open it up and start to, like, land strikes to the head and maybe put Jinyu Fry down and follow up with some ground and pound or something like that. But... I really like Loma here. Uh, I'm surprised. The, obviously, the, the the line is moving towards her minus one forty, or sorry, yeah, yeah, minus one forty. Um, I don't mind that line. I'll have to see how I feel when I finish taping this entire card and seeing if I want to play a little bit on that. Uh, but yeah, I do like Loma here. Uh, the the sprinkle on her to win by TKO at plus seven fifty is not that bad of a, a line either. So that's something I'd probably look into. Uh, but I do like Loma to win this fight via third round. TKO. Jordan Williams versus Nasser Dean Imavov. We got minus 140 on Jordan Williams and plus 120 on Imavov. Uh, most of us will remember Jordan Williams from his most recent stint on the contender series where he went out there and finished Gregory Rodriguez uh, two minutes into that fight. Uh, that was a fight where he was actually the underdog. A lot of people thought that Gregory would be uh, very successful in terms of getting this fight to the ground and pulling off a submission. Uh, however, we just did not see that. You know, we saw Jordan Williams go out there with a, a chip on his shoulder. This was his third time fighting for the contender series. The first time he got a, a ground and pound finish in the third round um, against Tim Karen. And then that fight was overturned to a no contest due to a, a positive medical, not medical, sorry, a, a marijuana test. Um, yeah, I mean, even in 2018, they're doing this shit. Even in 2020, they're doing that shit. So, uh, unfortunate from there and you know uh dana also looked unimpressed with his performance which is kind of surprising to me like he went out there and beat this guy pillar to post like he beat him 
pretty much that entire fight and he even finished him late in that fight too so even though he took this fight to the ground i'm not understanding why dana was so pissed off at him like it's a part of the game it's fucking mma you know what i mean he goes out there takes the guy and dominates on dominates him on the ground even if it is considered playing it safe a little bit yeah motherfucker i'm gonna play it safe especially if i see a path of victory to you know get the victory of this fight on the ground and he did he got the finish and that's what should have mattered at the end of the day so he gets passed up there uh goes over to fight on bellator once and then comes back over to the contender series loses a very very close fight to ramazan karamagomedov um very very close fight that was a fun fight too uh and then obviously in the gregory rodriguez fight we see him go out there and and just get the quick finish i feel like what i've seen from jordan williams uh showcases a way more well-rounded fighter than what i've seen from imovov but that may be in part to the fact that we don't have as much uh tape on imovov available yeah i mean we have that uh bravo choke uh fight but we only have like 30 seconds of that before uh before he got the tap then we got the paul lawrence fight where you you know he showed a lot of patience from range they call him the russian russian sniper for a reason so uh you know and we saw it in that fight being very patient waiting for his openings and then attacking when he did find the openings and then the same with the jonathan munier fight you know he was waiting for his opening and then he finally found that opening clipped munier and then just pretty much stayed on him for the rest of the fight uh and then eventually got him out with less than 30 seconds left in that first round I want to see what his like actual jiu-jitsu game is like. He does have a couple of submission victories on his record, so that makes you believe that this guy can actually go out there and grapple, and he may not be a complete fish out of water if Jordan Williams decides to take this fight to the ground. You know, just strictly based off of what we've seen, uh, you know, Jordan Williams does look like the more well-rounded fighter, but I do want to see what Imovov has to offer off of his back if he does get taken down here. Um, just like the Vendramenian Ayari fight, this fight is a little bit of a stay away from me strictly due to the lack of evidence and, and data that we actually have on Imovov. So now that he's in the UFC, hopefully he can build a little bit more of a catalog of, of data and some fights. And hopefully maybe even this goes 15 rounds so we can see a little bit more of his skill set. But uh, yeah, there's too many question marks from the Imovov side to make me even confident on Jordan Williams. So this fight is a little bit of a stay away fight for me. But you guys come to me for predictions and what I've seen on tape thus far jordan williams justifiably is the underdog or sorry is the is the favorite and deserves to be the favorite and i feel like he has a more well-rounded game at least what we've seen on footage so i'm gonna go with jordan williams to win this fight via decision uh and yeah it should be an entertaining fight as it as it plays out but i'm interested to see uh more of nasruddin imovov uh but uh, as of right now i'm gonna be leaning jordan williams Charles Jordan versus Joshua Kulibau. We got minus 440 on Jordan and plus 350 on Josh Kulibau. Um, let's start off with Air Jordan. You know what I mean? This kid burst onto the scene with a uh, surprising victory over du- Well, he did come into the UFC with a loss to Desreen. Then he goes out there and finishes Duho Choi in that first uh, in that second round. And then in the third round, loses a split decision to Andre Feely in a fight that even he realized that that one judge that scored it for him was probably on some fucking crack or something. But uh, the kid's impressive. You know what I mean? He has a flashy, uh, uh, striking, uh, solid movement, um, decent jujitsu. But with that said, his takedown defense is a little bit non-existent and that's a little bit concerning uh if you have that big of a flaw in your game you know kulibao 
not as many fights as Jordan has been around the scene a little bit, but just doesn't have the type of experience that's required, in my opinion, to really truly be UFC level. Um, there is a guy on his record that he had a fight with against, uh, I believe the guy's name was, yeah, Rodolfo Marquez. The guy was 25-10-1 going into that fight with Kulibao. And we don't have much data to work with there. You know, Kulibao finishes him in the fourth round, but we have no idea what those first three rounds look like. On the tape index, all we have is a KO of the, or sorry, the highlight of the KO lands the beautiful, like it literally just starts with him landing the head kick and then following up with punches. But I really truly wanted to have known what those first three rounds look like. Did he go out there and just get molly whopped and just had so much heart that he was able to survive it and then just finally gets that finish in the last round because Rodolfo just blew his gas tank trying to finish him in those first three? Or did Kulipao actually have a legitimate game plan where he was going out there and picking him apart and keeping this fight competitive? Nobody fucking knows. The, the only tape we really have on him is against guys that are of medi- mediocre uh, skill level. The Josh Payne fight, the guy's 8-8 eight and eight going into that fight. You know what I mean? Uh, and Kulipao does a solid job of staying active enough on the feet and then eventually finishing him via punches. Uh, he has fought Jalen Turner in the UFC already. That came in at pretty short notice, uh, even though that was roughly a year after he had fought Josh Payne. But, uh, you know... Jalen Turner went out there and did what Jalen Turner does. In this fight, though, against Charles Jordan, I think he's a little bit live at plus 325, and that's, or sorry, plus 350, which is a crazy number, considering the, the flaw that Charles Jordan has in his, uh, in his takedown defense. You know what I mean? And I, when you have such a glaring flaw, it's a little bit difficult for me to trust you at minus 440. Now, if Jordan was like minus 250 or something like that, I'm completely down with that. That's fine. You know, we, we do know he is a more skilled fighter here, but as an overall mixed martial artist, uh, when when it comes to takedowns, and I've seen Koulibao, uh, you know, complete takedowns, and that's all I really need to see to know to be like, all right, he's not going to be a complete dumbass and just go out there and try to go strike for strike with Charles, give it Charles space. If he gives Charles space, he's going to be fucked. You know what I mean? And, uh, I, I still am leaning towards Charles to win this fight, and I think the, the, the probably the best way to go is probably the under two and a half, uh, which is minus one forty five. But again, that's a little bit too too juicy. Even Jordan to win via KO minus one ten, Jordan to win via submission plus eight hundred, and Jordan to win inside the distance is minus one forty. I don't know. I can't trust my boy at that. And I want to. You know what I mean? The guy's Canadian. <laughs> the guy loves poutine. Uh, the guy's a, a solid, um, uh, you know, representation of what Canada represents. Um, but I got to see those flaws shored up a little bit before I can be 100% confident in him. And even, you know, minus 440 confident in this guy. So, um, you know, I, I love Jordan. He has a ton of potential. Uh, still very young. Uh, you know, solid uh, uh, a training partner with his brother. Um, obviously, d- gets a lot of different looks over there in Montreal. Um, but yeah, I'd, it's it's tough for me to trust him at minus four forty at this point in time. So I still will go with Jordan to win this fight via TKO. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm a little skeptical of that minus four forty line. Him to win inside the distance at minus one forty. If you truly want to play him, that's the line to go with. I, I think I'm going to pass on it altogether. But uh, that that's the line that you would have to play uh, if you want to play Jordan. I, I just can't trust him to even parlay him at minus four forty. Like a lot of people can go out there and be like him and Phillips parlay is probably the way to go. I'm staying away. I'm, I'm not. Maybe I'll throw Jordan into the the. 
the, the lottery parlay, but that's really about it. Uh, he's not going on my Hail Mary, and he's not really going to be uh, too much of a uh, a spot that I'm leaning on here. Again, it's going to come down to Kuliba getting those takedowns, because if he's not successful in getting those takedowns, then it's going to be a long night for my boy, and Jordan's going to go out there and get the finish. So I'll officially go with Jordan to win this fight via first or second round KO, uh, but minus 440, in my opinion, is a little bit steep. Carlos Condit versus Court McGee. It's the return of the natural born killer. He hasn't fought since December of 2018. Uh, and it kind of makes sense. He's riding a five fight losing streak. Uh, and even in his last 10, he's only won two fights against Tiago Alves and Martin Kamen. God damn. That Martin Kamen fight. I was actually, yeah, that was in Indiana, uh, Indiana way back in August of 2013. Just to give you guys perspective, that was. The Wednesday before uh, Anthony Pettis submitted Ben Henderson to win the title, I believe that was UFC one one sixty something. I can't I can't recall exactly, or one fifty something. Whatever it was, it, it was a while ago. That's all you guys need to fucking remember. It was a long, long time ago. Um, and then obviously he beat Tiago Alves in that headliner where he broke his nose in the second round and then won that fight. But then you know he he dropped fights to. A split decision to Robbie Lawler, which, you know, you could say that was a very competitive fight and you could absolutely make a case that Carlos Connor should have came out the winner in that fight. Uh, the Damian Mai fight got choked out. The Neil Magny fight, Magny was just too much better than him at that time. Alex Oliveira persevered through that fight and got that finish in the uh, in the second round. And then Michael Chiesa, who has looked pretty damn good since going up to 170, especially getting that victory over... Um, Rafael Dos Anjos last time around. So, is uh, really coming into his own, and to get that victory over Carlos Condit, you know, it's no tough, uh, it is a tough feat for sure. Um, my issue here, though, is we don't know what the fuck we're going to get with Carlos Condit. You know, we've seen the interviews, he's saying that, you know, he he just takes losses so much harder now, and it makes winning that much more important. But is that really going to translate into his fighting style? We don't really know. Um, you know, his lack of takedown defense is really, really concerning. Pretty much anybody can get him down and control him. And his jiu-jitsu hasn't really paid off for him that much. You know, the last time he's won a fight with uh, a submission, let's pull that back, Carlo Prater, way back in 2008, where he got a, um, a guillotine choke victory. Since then, it's just been decision victories and, and stoppages via punches. And say what you want about Cormagee, but that guy has a beard on him still. So I think it's going to be very hard for Carlos Conor to go out there and knock him out. Uh, Sean Brady wasn't able to do it. Diego Lima wasn't able to do it. Sean Strickland couldn't do it. Um, you know, he's fought a lot of guys. And the last time he did get finished by punches was uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio way back in 2016. So it's going to take a lot to really get the crush out of there with punches. And then again, with with submissions, I, I, I it's hard for me to believe that Condit's going to be able to do it. Unless we see like natural born killer Condit where he just, you know, he is the one throwing more. He's the one coming forward, throwing elbows, um, being active, Um you know, possibly getting back to his feet somehow. I just, I, I can't see it, man. And then you go in there and watch the tape on Court McGee and you even come out on the other side thinking, I can't even bet this motherfucker either. You know, he's he's on the decline too. Uh, he's lost, you know, the Diego Lima one was very, very skeptical because if you guys have followed me for a while, you know I'm not the biggest Diego Lima fan, nor do I think he has that much talent. Uh, but the Sean Brady one, that's a solid loss. I mean, Sean, Sean Brady has a ton of potential. He's a big up and 
up-and-comer that a lot of people are looking at as a top five potential eventually. You know I mean? He still needs to go out there and get proper victories, uh, but I think he has a ton of potential. So that's a uh, that's a decent loss on Court McGee's record. But, you know, he he is looking... He, the, he's showing the wear and tear as well, too. He's 35 years old, so he's closer a little bit to his prime than Carlos Condit is, who's 36. Um, but still, like, it's, it, there's just far too many questions for this fight regardless i i i I, I don't even know what the fuck i can say in regards to who i believe is going to come out on top in terms of like anything from this fight to to play maybe the over two and a half but even at minus 250 i don't think that there's much value there um you know yeah it all depends on what kind of Carlos Condit we get. But the one Carlos Condit we always get is the one that has no takedown defense. So if Court McGee wants to go out there and spam takedowns and just control Condit from on top, he could absolutely do that. Um, you have to give Condit something in terms of his like TKO durability. He doesn't get take TKO'd the easiest. He has gotten submitted a couple times, but uh, it's been a long time since we've seen Court McGee actually submit anybody either. So um, when was the last time we saw him submit somebody? Arm triangle choke from against Ryan Jensen way back in October of 2010. I was at that fight, uh, UFC 121, Lesnar versus Velasquez. Um, yeah, it's been a long time since we've seen either of these guys complete a submission. So I think the over two and a half is definitely in the spot here if you want to bet this at all. But again, minus 250 is a little bit wide. I do lean Court McGee, obviously. That that takedown is always going to be there. And I feel like that's going to be the the, the detriment uh, for Carlos Conant's return here. I hope I'm wrong. You know what I mean? I'm a huge Carlos Condit fan. I hope he's able to go out there and look good and actually get a, a, you know, maybe even get a finish. That would be great too. To get a finish over a guy like Court McGee would be, uh, you know, that should raise his confidence at this point in his career because not a lot of people are able to go out there and finish a guy like Court McGee. So I like Con, or sorry, I like Court McGee. I feel like he'll just grind this fight out from the top position. One takedown per round is pretty much all he needs. And then just he does a decent enough job of staying active enough on top. So I feel like, uh, you know, he, he will be able to. And even if the fight gets stood up, he's going to get the fight back to the ground. So, uh, yeah, again, my heart says Carlos Condit. I hope he's able to pull it off. But my head definitely says Court McGee. Uh, but even at minus 135, I can't take the shot. Give me plus money on court mcgee and i'm probably in but not at minus 135 i'm good i'll sit back i'll watch this fight as a fan and pray and hope that we get the natural born killer back but i'm going to be going with court mcgee to win this fight via decision Declan townsend versus dushko todorovic we got minus 325 on the ufc newcomer and contender series alum uh todorovic and plus 265 on dequan townsend uh who's running a three-fight losing streak in the ufc hasn't won in the ufc uh you know it's very rare that we see a fighter actually come into the ufc lose three straight right off the bat and actually get a fourth attempt you know what i mean more often than not you even see fighters after their second loss in a row uh get cut you know what i mean but townsend i'm not sure what's going on in terms of you know his relationship with the with the ufc brats um you know obviously we know he had a lot of like personal issues going on um you know he he lost his brother or something like that uh he lost his kid just a bunch of stuff there, there's a there's an article that was released on him uh by mma junkie or mma fighting earlier this week that highlighted all that stuff and now he's saying it's like 
all about him. You know, all the other fight camps that he was going into, it was pretty much just, you know, him focusing on other stuff and being distracted by that stuff and then going in there and actually, you know, fighting and then not being able to completely fight to his full potential. Now, I, I you know, I can still go out there and be like, even if he didn't have those, those things going on, he's probably still going to get beat by those guys that he was lined up against. You know, um, with Dushko, though, I, I think that there's a little bit of room for him to potentially pull off an upset here. You know, uh, Dolce Lungiambulo was the last guy to finish him via strikes. And before that, you know, he got heel hooked back in 2017. But, you know, other than that, he's never gotten finished via punches or via TKO, which is probably what Dushko's path to victory in a lot of people's eyes are. Um, and so one thing you have to give to Daquan, even though, you know, a lot of people are just thinking, okay, auto fade because he's looked like complete garbage in his last couple of fights. You got to keep in mind that this guy is a 32 fight veteran. He has, you know, three times the amount, just over three times the amount of experience that Dushko is bringing into this fight. Um, and Dushko himself, you know, outside of that contender series fight that he had uh, last summer, he's never really gotten out of the second round. You know what I mean? His longest fight was against Alexander Popek, who was also on the contender series, who lost to Jamal Hill. Um, you know, that was his longest fight. Uh, outside of that, he's just going in there and dusting these guys. You know, he does have... Uh, Michelle Pereira on his record, who's uh, you know a decent opponent. Teddy Ash, who's a decent opponent on that, at least on the Canadian MMA scene. Uh, and now here he is against Daquan Townsend, who's again way much, way more um, experience, way more time in the cage, uh, and against a lot of tough competition. Uh, obviously, right off the bat, I am going to say that I do believe that Dushko wins this fight. You know, he, he is the little bit more active fighter. Uh, he seems a little bit more, a little bit more athletic at this point in time. He seems like he's getting better every fight. And him going to a decision last time around with Teddy Ash was nothing but a good thing for him. I think it's better that he got that, maybe not on the contender series, but luckily for him, he was still able to go in there and and get a contract. Uh, but obviously, on the contender series, you want to be as flashy as possible and try to get that finish. Uh, but regardless, he got the decision victory, and he was still able to go out there and get the uh, get a contract for himself. Now is the time for him to really get some time in the cage. And I think he's going to, unfortunately, you know, he's going to want to go in there and get this fight done with ASAP, probably get a performance of the night bonus. But Daquan Townsend is not going to get out of there easy. You know what I mean? He's a tough out. Um, He's very uh, durable. He's very tough. Like I said, the only guy to finish him via punch as well as Dolce Lungiambulo, who's an absolute beast. And we all know that. Um, Dusko Todorovic. I don't think he has like crazy one punch knockout power and I think anything that he throws towards Daquan uh you know Daquan will be able to eat and kind of just stay in the fight um so I think he's gonna have to go the route that he did in the Teddy Ash fight he's gonna have to clinch Daquan up against the cage he's gonna have to you know shove his forehead into his chin shove it into his chest and keep that position and push him up against the cage as much as possible but I'm wondering how much that's really gonna tax him you know throughout the fight Teddy Ash, you know, he's a strong guy. He's a big guy, but Daquan Townsend's a pretty big guy himself. So Teddy Ash, let's talk about this in comparison. 6'1", 73-inch reach, uh, 185er as well last time around. Daquan Townsend, uh, where is he? Uh, has fought at 205 a couple times. He's 6'3", with a 79-inch reach. So that's going to be a little bit more... Um, you know, uh, that's going to be a little bit more mass that uh, uh, Dushko is going to have to deal with. You know, I mean, that that could be a little bit of an issue here for him. And, you know, say what you want about, he did win that third round. I won't, I won't give that away from him. But 
he did look a little bit gassed. You know what I mean? And obviously, you know, the, it was a high-paced fight in terms of him dishing out the damage to Teddy Ash and trying to, you know, take away the the, the victory in that fight. But um, Daquan Townsend, he has those, like, lulls, and then he has those explosions. Like, if you watch his fight with Jamal Hill, um, you know, that was a five-round fight. And every, like, later in that fight, he had those little explosions where he was going out there and trying to hit Jamal Hill and, and had those explosions. And I think... He could be successful with one of those explosions against Dushka uh, Todorovic here. Uh, again, Todorovic being as green as he is, um, you know, I still think he has some improving to do. I think he's a good talent. But minus 325 for a UFC newcomer, uh, you know, um, fighting a, a veteran like Daquan Townsend. And again, say what you want about him not getting any victories in the UFC and possibly being the worst fighter on the roster currently outside of Nadia Kasim. Uh I I think that he could I think he can endure the first two rounds and then maybe do something in that third round. I am still going to pick Dushko to win because I do believe that the probability of Dushko pulling off the decision victory is higher than Daquan Townsend actually uh you know getting a third round stoppage but plus 2800 for Daquan Townsend to get this victory in the fourth round or the third round not bad. He's had four third round stoppages in 21 fights. So you know, he has had late finishes. Uh, so it's not something that's completely out of the realm of possibility. So I am I am going to pick Dushko to win this fight. Um, I will sprinkle a little bit on that third round prop for Townsend in case he just comes through. And, and it, you got to think, like, three straight losses, all the shit that he's endured over his UFC career at this point in time, personal and in the cage, he's got to know that this is, like, the last fucking stand. Let me go out there, try to get a fucking victory, you know, especially if he goes out there and gives up those two rounds, if he has his coach screaming and yelling in his face just as he was in that Devin Clark fight uh, before that third round, it's got to motivate him to the point to be like, all right, I really got to fucking do something. I really got to go out there and get this W. Um, yeah, but yeah, Dushko does a lot of good things as well too. Uh, again, uh, higher output, uh, good kicks, uh, and his clinch control is solid too, right? Uh, but again, I think it's going to be tough for him to really get Daquan Town, Townsend down. Uh, and I think it's going to be really difficult for him to get uh, uh, to get him out of there. So I do think we see Dushko get those first two rounds. He could possibly squeeze out that third as well, too, if Townsend really does nothing. Uh, but I will give Townsend a little bit of a chance to possibly pull this victory off in that third round. However, I think my favorite play on this fight, it's probably nothing that I'll play officially, maybe just a sprinkle on the side, is Dushko to win this fight via decision. Kyler Phillips versus Cameron Els. Uh, we got minus 470 on Kyler Phillips and plus 375 on Cameron Els. Uh, Els obviously coming in on short notice. He's replacing Dana Batgaril. Uh, you know, he had to pull out due to injury, I believe it was. Uh, and uh, this is an interesting spot for Kyler Phillips. You know, the, this guy has a lot of hype around him. A lot of people think that he has a lot of, uh, he has a bright future. Um, you know, and what I've seen on tape makes me kind of believe that. The kid's fun to watch. You know, I mean, he has a lot of good skill set on the feet. Uh, he's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Trains over there at the MMA lab with Ben Henderson and John Crouch and those guys. So, you know, he has a ton of, a ton of uh, solid experience in his corner. Uh, but the kid has it all. You know, what I mean, that he, it's crazy the resurgence he's made since the Ultimate Fighter days where he lost a majority uh, decision to Brad Katona on the show, and now he's made a complete resurgence in his career. Looks amazing. 
Uh, and there's a reason he's a minus 470 here. And obviously it has in part to do with Cameron Ellis's lack of skill set that he brings to the table as well. But um, yeah, I think uh, Kyler Phillips has a ton of finishing power in this fight as well. Um, I think that he can go out there and completely stall on Cameron Ellis. I think if Cameron has anything, it's a first round finish, uh, maybe by KO or something like that. But uh, it actually is making me like the under one and a half here. And, you know, it's that's not really something you want to say for guys that are at the lower weight classes. But I feel like, you know, Cameron Ellis, again, first round or bust. Um, and even in that first round, I think uh, Kyler Phillips is very dangerous. I feel like Phillips can get this fight to the ground and pull off a submission. Uh, I, I think that's probably his safest route to victory if he just goes out there and gets the takedown and just goes for a submission. But he should be able to hold his own on the feet. Um, I don't think Cameron Ellis's, uh, you know, power uh, is anything crazy to really worry about. I don't think that this is going to be like a Kevin Krumen, Roosevelt Roberts type of deal. As I feel like the skill discrepancy here is much wider than we had between Roosevelt Roberts and uh, Kevin Kroom. Uh, but yeah, I, I love Kyler Phillips here. And I think he can get it done under one and a half rounds. So at plus 100, I don't mind a small play on there uh, at all. Because I do think that uh, one of them will find the finish. I think it's more than likely Kyler Phillips. And Kyler Phillips to win inside the distance is minus 160. So that's a little bit too steep for me to play straight up. But I do like the under one and a half because I don't think it will take him longer than seven and a half minutes to get a guy of Cameron House's uh, skill set uh, out of there. Let's just also take it, you know, give a shout out to the resume that Cameron House has put together ever since he lost that fight to Damon Whedon back in June of 2017. Goes out there, head kicks Jordan Ramshaw, a kid that looked like he did not even want to be there. You know what I mean? It looked like like the kid, the, he was wearing a rash guard. He didn't even look like, I, I said this on uh, the Money Right Fight Club that we did the other night. Um, it looked like this guy's mom just pushed him into the cage and be like, all right, hon, get us dinner for tonight. Go win 50 bucks for us. Even if you lose, you know, you'll still go out there and, and, and get a paycheck of 50 bucks and we can have some dinner. That's what it seemed like. Like the kid, as soon as he ate that first head kick, he said, fuck it. He went down and he went down hard. Uh, Tom Major, another one where it looked like that guy was completely outmatched. And then even the, the Brad Evans one, the guy was three and 14 going into that fight. Looked like a very poor man's Brian Kelleher. Uh, and uh, Cameron Ellis got him out there pretty, pretty quickly. So that was impressive. But I think Kyler Phillips has all the chops to go out there and finish Cameron Ellis within seven and a half minutes. I think the, I think it will come via, via, um, uh, via choke. I think that he'll be able to get him down uh, with relative ease and then work his brown belt in jiu-jitsu and then hopefully get a rear naked choke within that first round. But I think that first round should be some shit. Uh, but Kyler Phillips has all the skills in the world to really take control of the potential chaos that uh, Cameron Ellis is going to bring to that fight and then pull off a submission victory in that first round. So I'm going to be going with Kyler Phillips to win this fight in the first round via submission. Jermaine Durandamy versus Juliana Pena. We got minus 135 on GDR and plus 115 on the Venezuelan Vixen. Uh, the line actually opened up the opposite. We had plus 110 on Jermaine Durandamy as the opener, and then she slowly got in bet down to minus 135 it was pretty much a pick em for a couple days uh and now recently over the last uh, you know i'd say day or so uh we did get some money raining in on jermaine durand to meet the over under obviously two and a half uh with the over being minus 200 don't even want to touch either of those lines there but what i am intrigued by here 
is the underdog. So this is a classic striker versus grappler matchup that we got. Let's start off with the striker first and foremost. She's coming off a title loss to Amanda Nunes. That was the second time she fought Amanda, uh, and it pretty much went you know similar to the first in terms of Amanda Nunes getting the better of the grappling exchanges uh, and doing her best work from on top. Before that, she was able to put together a couple wins, which included a featherweight victory over Holly Holm to capture that title. And then we all know the shenanigans that ensued after that in terms of, uh, you know, Jermaine Duranamy refusing to fight um, Chris Cyborg. Uh, she gives up the title and then she comes back at 135, fights and beats Raquel Pennington, and then also goes out there and starches um, Aspen Ladd within 16 seconds and then gets a tire shot against Amanda Nunes and comes up short. Here she is against a grappler who, in my opinion, is up there with the Amanda Nunes level of grappling, at least with the wrestling aspect of it. Um, you know, <clears throat> Aspen Ladd could have been one of that uh, one of the fighters there to, you know, shed some light on where the grappling <clears throat> of Jermaine Durand and me actually is. Um, we did see Holly Holm have some su success in terms of, like, holding Jermaine Durand and me up against the cage for a significant, not a significant part, but a good part of that fight. Um, you know, there was plenty of times where we seen Jermaine Durand and me kind of like looking up the ref, looking up at the referee to be like, hey, you know, let's get it moving. Let's, you know, break us apart. That just kind of shows us fighters that, you know, if, if they get frustrated in those situations, they just don't know how to get out of those situations. And yeah, we have seen her actually get out of those situations, even in the Raquel Pennington fight. But to see them lose hope so quickly in their abilities to not get off the cage is very concerning. Um, one other thing I do want to shed some light on in terms of differences of, you know, Holly Holm, Raquel Pennington, uh, and then Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena is I believe that the 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 way they go for takedowns or the type of takedowns that they shoot, um, you know, Nunez and Pena are going to be a lot more successful than a girl like, or a woman like Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington. You know, with Holm and Pennington, we really just saw them like, you know, shooting, uh, going up against the cage and kind of shooting and just ducking down for a double or a single leg and kind of just powering or, you know, powering through these takedowns to try to pull these takedowns away. Jermaine Duranamy, she's long, she's lanky, she has a little bit of strength around her. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult to complete those types of takedowns. If you watch the Amanda Nunes fight, the one thing that Amanda Nunes does very well in those fights and something that Juliana Pena does very well in her fights as well is uh, they, they incorporate trips into their takedowns. So when they shoot for takedowns, they're also looking to use their own leg to put it behind Jermaine Duranamy's and follow through like that rather than just kind of power and pushing through and hoping that you know Jermaine Duranamy is either just going to fall over or you know, she'll, once she hits the cage, they'll be able to readjust quickly and then get her down that way. It doesn't work with Jermaine Duran to me like that. It did work for Nunez a little bit later in that fight. Obviously, you got five rounds to go in there, and, you know, uh, Duran to me's takedown defense will obviously start to diminish over that 25-minute period. But, um, you know, earlier in the fight, in the first round, in the second round, in the third round, you see the takedowns that Amanda Nunez completes is the ones where she's actually tripping the leg of Jermaine Durand me. And if you go back and watch Juliana Pena's fights, that's something that she attacks quite often whenever she's going for takedowns. And that kind, that small little thing kind of makes me believe that, you know, uh, that Pena will be successful in getting this fight to the ground. You know, when I'm talking to other people and uh, trying to get their view on this fight, uh, a lot of people are just like, you know, if Pena gets this fight to the ground, she's going to look like a minus 200. If she's not able to, she's going to look like a plus 200. And I kind of get that. You know, obviously we know Pena's striking is not to the level of Jermaine Durand to me. 
There's no bones about it. Duranami does a really good job in terms of counter-striking. We saw that in the Holly home fight whenever Holly would crash forward and throw a couple strikes. Jermaine Duranami stood her ground and threw a nice one to in, uh, in return, which ultimately, you know, the repetitiveness of that uh, got her to win the fight. In the Red Cow Pennington fight, she was very aggressive. And even Pennington, she had some success against the cage in terms of holding Jermaine there. That just leads me to believe that Juliana Pena will be able to do the same, if not more effectively, and then obviously get the takedowns behind that too. Um, you know, Pennington, not the level of wrestler of Pena. Um, Holly Holm, not the level of wrestler of Juliana Pena, not the grappler of Juliana Pena. So I think it's like Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena, Aspen Ladd, and then again, we just did not see enough of the Aspen Ladd fight to truly see what kind of grappling or how her grappling would have done against Jermaine Durandamy. If the money continues to rain on Jermaine here, I'm going to have to pull the trigger on Juliana Pena. You guys know me. Like, if it's a striker versus grappler situation, I'm more than likely going to be, you know, um, leaning towards the, the grappler. And especially when I see routes that uh, that grappler can take to get the fight to the ground, I'm all for it. You know, I, people can say what they want about Juliana Pena and her layoffs and all that type of stuff. But, you know, I felt like she needed that first round against Nico Montani to really shake off the rust. And then in the second and third rounds, we did see her, you know, uh, have a little bit more success. Obviously, Nico Montani is going to be a little bit more active off of her back than uh, uh, Jermaine Duranamy. So I don't think we'll see as much resistance off of uh, Jermaine Duranamy's back as we did from Nico Montani. Um but yeah, I think I think Pena is all there. Like I, I think she truly can make a run uh, at this one thirty-five pound division. Uh, let's not also forget. You want to go back to the Valentina Shevchenko fight for Pena as well. Even though that was January of twenty seventeen, let's not overlook the fact that she had some success in that clinch cage uh, work that she was doing against Shevchenko, who herself is quite a strong woman, a thickly built woman herself. Uh, obviously, Shevchenko, you know, being crafty and and uh, a lot better at that time than we expected her to be, was able to pull off some beautiful trip takedowns of her own to eventually get on top. But Pena was successful in her in takedowns of her own as, as well. So that's something you got to keep in mind. Um, yeah, so, you know, with Jermaine Durandamy, I think a lot of people are looking into the fact that Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington were not able to get her down, thinking that Juliana Pena won't be able to do the same. Y'all are going to get a rude awakening, in my opinion. As long as Pena is able to, you know, withstand the first minute or so, I think she will be successful in terms of pushing, uh, you know, Durandamy up against the cage. I think her best opportunities for a takedown are to blitz forward, uh, let... Um, uh, GDR take or shoot that you know her one two or throw her counter and in the midst of blitzing we get Juliana Pena to get a, a beautiful double leg trip takedown uh, to to get this fight to the ground and and do her best work from on there you know she does have good top control she's able to lay damage from there and she does a good enough job of t uh, in terms of staying active enough so that the referee doesn't stand them up so I love Juliana Pena in this situation I'm kind of surprised at the amount of love that's coming in on Jermaine Duranamy but that's why you guys come to me. You guys come to me to, to stand apart from the rest of these guys. And I'm not forcibly standing apart from everybody else just because everybody else is on Jermaine Durand me. It's what I see. And it's what I think that she will be able to accomplish. And I truly believe that Pena, you know, this fight should be maybe even minus 120, minus 130 Pena. I'm not going to be, I'm not lying. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think a lot of people are overlooking the, the wrestling and the grappling acumen of Juliana Pena here. And a part of me kind of wishes she was still at Sig Jitsu with uh, Michael Chiesa and, um, you, you know, uh, James Krause and those guys down there. 
unfortunately, you know, she sustained a pretty significant ACL injury from one of their dumbass training partners. Uh, it was some, I don't even know if the guy's fighting anymore. This guy named Josh Gao. I remember he was the one that ended up uh, screwing her up. Yeah, he's 4-1. and one. He hasn't fought in a long time, actually. Jeez, he hasn't fought since 2014. That's insane. But yeah, yeah. Uh, if she was still there, I think she would have got a lot better training. But she's over there in Illinois now. She's training with Felice Herrick. I've seen uh, Yaya Rodriguez in a couple of their pictures. Um, yeah, I, I believe in Juliana Pena. Um, if she comes into this fight, you know, close to 100%, she should be able to secure those takedowns um, and, and pretty much ride out GDR on top. So I'm going to go with Juliana Pena to win this fight via decision and pull off the upset. And I truly think she's worth the bet, especially at that plus money. Jorgen De Castro versus Carlos Philippe. We got minus 260 on Jorgen and plus 220 on Carlos Philippe. The over-under set at one and a half with the over being minus 115, which is the side that I lean to a little bit. So let's start off with Carlos Boy Philippe. He's coming off a loss to Sergei Spivak last time around where, uh, you know, Spivak did a decent job of, you know, avoiding the big shots of Philippe that he was just winging towards him and then pretty much just picking him apart from the outside. Beautiful kicks, beautiful jabs, uh, beautiful combinations and then movement as well for, from Spivak uh, and then in that third round he got him down with relative ease and just held him down there and and dished out damage from on top um, and you know that Philippe fight was it was not without his patent and trash talk that a lot of people would have seen if they watched his earlier fights from uh, before the UFC the guy loves to talk shit you know he loves to get in his opponent's head and try to get them to overextend on certain things and at least from the fights that I've seen so far none of his opponents have actually pulled that off uh uh, but we did see Spivak really, you know, let it go afterwards. After the decision was read, he just let all that emotion that was brewing leading up to that fight, just let it go. So, um, you know, hats off to Spivak in terms of being able to actually, um, you know, keep that in, uh, considering how, you know, you know, it kind of even pissed me off. And it's even a little bit cringeworthy from my side whenever I see Philippe doing the thing that he's doing, just fucking you know, just talking shit, saying nothing hurt, and just, just the way that he's talking, it's like, okay, if you're gonna have that type of attitude, do something, you know what I mean, do something, have some, have more offense than just fucking winging wild, wild shots, and thinking that some, one of those things is gonna land, you know, that's, that's my concern for him in this fight, um, you know, going into taping this fight, I'm like, yo, this line is a little bit too wide, plus 220, it's a little bit crazy considering the fact that, you know, Jorgen is decent. Uh, I'm not going to completely shit on his skill set or anything like that. But, uh, you know, th this is two heavyweights that are still up and coming in the UFC. And, uh, you know, anything can happen. However, after going through the tape, I, I, I can't bet either side here. <laughs> you know what I mean, I, I got to give the technical advantage a little bit to Jorgen De Castro. Um, not a little bit kind of a lot everything that Philippe throws is with the kitchen sink so uh, he, he doesn't have much technique going behind that the one positive thing I will say about Philippe is it looks like he has gotten in a little bit of better shape but I got to see that translate into the technique as well not just the physique um, you know it, it's also promising as well to see him uh, within a couple of Instagram pictures with uh, Noguera as well so that shows that he's you know trying to up his uh, training a little bit 
albeit it just looked like those pictures were in his hotel room from Fight Island. So maybe Nogueira was just like, you know what, you're Brazilian, I'm Brazilian, let's go roll or something. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, you know, I need to see those techniques and the potential improvements in the cage before I can actually bank on it and be like, all right, this guy's actually worth playing at plus 220. With that said, I don't think he's worth playing at plus 220. And I hate to say that because I'm like, this is a solid spot. You know, this line is way too wide and I still think it's a little bit too wide, but the skill set that uh, Boy provides is just not enough for me to, to to pull the trigger. Let's talk about Jorgen Castro on the other side. I think the kid's talented. I mean, I, I hate to say kid because I'm sure he's older than me. <laughs> Let me just, yeah, he's 32 years old. So he's, he's got about three or four years on me. But, you know, he's he's solid. Like his striking acumen is, is solid. And to go into that um, Alton Meeks fight as a huge underdog, plus 550 underdog, and then win via leg kicks, that's some shit. The, the the he he has some pop behind his kicks, especially when he uses them correctly. You know, I mean, the Justin Taffa fight, he was being held against the cage a little bit too much for my liking. So I'm not. I, I don't feel like Carlos Felipe is that type of guy to do that type of game plan. So uh, you know, I, I think he's more so of the guy that's trying to take your head off. So I don't think we need to worry too much about the cage clinch uh, potential that Jorgen De Castro found himself on the the bad side of in that Justin Taffa fight before he absolutely shut his lights out. Um, and then in the Greg Hardy fight. You know, he looked good when he was putting his punches together and ending it with leg kicks. And it just seemed like he sprained or fucked up his leg midway through that second round. And that's where he really started to take the foot off the gas. You know, the last minute and a half of the of that first round, he really laid off as well, too. I felt like if he did lay on it a little bit more, it would have been way more successful of that first round. Um and then in that second round, we saw him come out a little bit heated in that first minute. And then after that, he started to, to wane even more. And then even in that third round, went for it in that first minute and then started to wane a little bit more and let the output of um, uh, of Greg Hardy get to him. I find it hard to believe that he's going to make that mistake two, two fights in a row. Um, I feel like he'll be able to be the sharper fighter here against Carlos. I don't think he'll be intimidated by Carlos, especially with all the trash talking and the bouncing around and all the movement that Philippe does. It, you know, he moves a lot for a heavyweight, which is interesting, but he doesn't do much with it. You know what I mean? He w- 